0: This morning's title is No Other Gospel. As we know in today's world, the word gospel has become a little complicated. In fact, many people will say when they tell you a story, that's the gospel, or that's gospel. In a recent search on Kindle for ebooks and looking around, there were over 400 pages with titles that had the gospel according to someone or something. In fact, one of those was the gospel according to Starbucks, to make you a grande passion for the world. You see, the word gospel has become complicated to us, but the word gospel simply means good news. But as we as believers think of the gospel, we can say that this is absolutely great news. As we think of our country, as we think of the Bahamas, the word gospel has even become a little distorted because we have so many different churches or buildings all around. There are places that you can go anywhere to hear from God's word. And the reality for us as believers, as we think of ourselves, the Kerry Bible Church, is we need to look at it and say, how does it look to God's word? How does it stack up against God's word? Is it true? And I think of the gospel. The gospel can be simply put as 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4 says this. For I delivered to you as in first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Again, as we consider that, that is just a very basic thing. But we need to understand the power in that, as we already have been singing about the grace of God, to understand that, hey, God is saying that he has done it all. Jesus came to this earth, he died, but he didn't stay dead, he is alive. And because of that, we have hope. But as we know, there are many people who still complicate the gospel and say, you have to do more. J.D. Greer puts it this way, the gospel is not supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. It is to be the source from which everything flows. You see, as we as believers, when the gospel penetrates our lives, we need to understand that this needs to penetrate everything that we do. Every place we go, every contact that we come in contact, person we come in contact with, that is supposed to be seen because we have the power of the gospel living in us as believers. You see, as we have said already, we talked about there are many churches. There are many places where different Gospels are preached from pulpits. And this is why the world is so confused of what the true Gospel message is, because they have heard so many different contrary messages to what we as believers are supposed to believe. Again, as we think of the Bahamas, the Bahamas has been known as a, people like to say, a Christian nation. But I would like to say that we have become, and even before, a religious nation. We think that once we come to church, we earn God's favor. We think once we come to church and we wear the proper clothes, we earn God's favor. We think that when we go into God's room, we study it, we earn God's favor. We've done more, and God is satisfied with all that. But that's what already been said this morning. We just need Jesus plus nothing. Yes, these are things that we should want to do, and that's how we grow in our faith. But we need to understand that it's Jesus plus nothing because we can't earn God's salvation. I ask you. Who do you talk to about the gospel? You see, people are searching even more now for the answer, for the truth. Because people are searching for answers because as we think of our world, the chaos that's going on around us, people are wondering, well, where do I turn? What do I do? And the reality for us as believers, we have the answer. You turn to Christ. But they need to hear it from us. They need to see it in us. Because our words don't mean anything if our actions aren't lining up as well. You see, it's also a challenge for us as Christians that we think of Jude chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all saints. You see, we as believers, we have to contend for the truth. We can't expect the world to contend the truth. The world's going to distort the truth. But we know the truth, and we need to take a stand. You see, this isn't something new as we think of today's context. But Paul was dealing with the same issues as we think of the Galatian church. And if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do at home, turn to Galatians 1, 6 to 10 as we look at what Paul was dealing with. Because the thing about it is is that we need to understand that us as believers, that I talked about the last time, we need to line everything up with God's word and see how it lines up. And we need to know the context. We need to know because so many times the words are twisted. But we don't know because we haven't studied for ourselves. And we don't know the truth. But here, Galatians 1, 6 to 10, it says this. And I'll be reading from the ESV. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turned into a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be a curse. And we have, and we have said before so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, Let him be a curse. Verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man, or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would be not a servant of Christ. The first point this morning we're going to look at is this. The Galatian departure because of a false gospel. We see that in Galatians 1, 6, 7, and 7a. It says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turn into a different gospel? Not that there is another one. You see, the proper way to begin a Roman letter was to start off by talking about thanksgiving and being thankful. Here, however, Paul is saying he is burdened by the Galatians there, and he is saying, "Look, I think of you as my kids," and he is rebuking them because he's saying, "Look, you guys have heard the message that I preach." But someone has come in and now you're believing a different gospel. John Stott says this the word turning means to transfer one's allegiance. It was used of soldiers in the army who would go fight for the other side, or of politicians who would transfer to another political party. The Galatian church was changing teams, in a sense. And for us in our context to think about that, it would be like somebody saying that I'm a Red Sox fan, but now I'm gonna change my allegiance to be a Yankee fan. It doesn't work. Or someone, as you think of the basketball realm, you think of, I was a Celtics fan, now I'm gonna be a Lakers fan. You see, it is so different. It is you saying that I am changing allegiance. I am going and following someone else, and this is what Paul is saying. Look, you guys have changed your allegiance from Christ, and now you're believing a different gospel. You see, the Galatian transfer hurt Paul so much, as he looked at them as children. We see this in Galatians four nineteen. He said, "My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you, until Christ is formed in you." You see, he was hurt because he saw his children following after something else. I ask you a question this morning as we think of not just your children, your home, but those who you may have had the opportunity to lead to Christ or see them come to know Christ. I ask you a question. Do you have that same burden? Do you have the same agonization when you see them turn to something else? Or are you gracious to them? Do you come alongside them and help them as Paul is doing here? Paul is coming back and saying, look, you guys messed up, but I'm burdened to see you come back. This is where we need to understand as we see new converts come to know Christ, that they're not going to have it all together, they're going to fall into traps. But it's for us as the church to say, you know what, I'm going to come alongside you, I'm going to help you. We have to know how we're going to disciple these people because That's the most important thing. A new convert is not going to know how to just be what a Christian is unless someone comes alongside them, mentor them, be there for them. You see, I think too many times we are just satisfied of seeing converts instead of seeing disciples of Christ. People who come to know Christ and who are genuine believers and see them grow up to become great citizens for Christ. You see, this was hard for Paul to see. As we think of Paul, all the hardships and tribulation that Paul went through as he started these churches. Think about it. What Paul went through, the shipwrecks, all these things, being thrown to prison. But now he's seeing these, the Galatian church, turn to a different gospel. And it hurts him. It bothers him. He's burdened by it. Because he wants to see them come to know Christ and to follow the true gospel. You see, as we think of turning away from the gospel, we we see three different points here as we think of that. The first thing is they turn from God. We see this in verse 6 it says, As you have turned from him who has called you, meaning God, you have turned from God. We hear many statements today, people say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the whole Bible. Or, I believe in parts of the Bible, I just don't believe in everything. You see, they turn from God. The second thing they turn from is they turn from the grace of God. We have to remember that salvation had nothing to do with me or you, but it had everything to do with the grace of God and him calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, we need to remember that salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Because salvation is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. You see, we can't earn any, we can't earn it. It's all been paid for as we've already sang. Jesus paid it all. He paid every debt for us. The third thing is we see they turn from the gospel. We see this in verse 7. As it says in verse 7a, it said, there's no such thing. And this is hard for people to grasp as they hear so many different messages preached, gospels preached everywhere they go. And you know, one thing for us is all, as we think of, you know, Calvary Bible Church, we may say, well, you know what? We don't believe in the prosperity gospel. You know, the prosperity gospel, you know, the health and the wealth. And, you know, we know that that is not true. But I want you to think of some other gospels sometimes that we believe in. Because it's easy not to believe in the health and wealth gospel. But sometimes we as believers put ourselves into believing some other gospels. One of the gospels we believe, we put ourselves in, we make something else, puts Christ the gospel. J.D. Greer says this there is no and the gospel. You see, the gospel message is all. True, it is what we need. It is Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. Another gospel that we believe sometimes is we believe that once we are good moral citizens, then this is what saves us. You know, we look at some people online. and we say, wow, that person is a great person, great business person. You know, I've never seen them drink, I've never seen them smoke, never seen them, you know, say a bad word. So they must be a Christian because they've done all the things morally right. You see, the reality is that we could be as moral as we want to be, but that doesn't earn us salvation. And so many people put their faith in that, that I'm going to be a good person. I'm a good person. I give to the poor. I tie to the church. You know, right now during Corona, I'm doing all I can to give out food to people. This is not what saves us. Another false gospel that sometimes we believe is we think we can grow spiritually on our own. You know, I can do this on my own. Sometimes I don't need Christ. I can just read this word for myself and I can do whatever I want. The reality is that as we think of us being born again, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us to help us as we study God's word. And the last one is this we sometimes think that we can change people. I can tell you this. I'm sure any person who's ever been a pastor or any type of ministry leader or whatever, I could guarantee you, have come across people where you wish you had a magic wand, you could just change them. that They would change overnight. But it's not reality. And the reality is that I can change no one. You can change no one. But we sometimes think that we can change people. We think that we can, you know, have this magic word and we can change them and, and, and they'll just automatically be different. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I've heard many people say from a pulpit before that I've saved many people. You saved no one. The Holy Spirit convicted those people and they came to know Christ, which brings me to the second point we want to look at this morning, detecting false teachers. Verse seven says again, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and and want to distort the gospel of Christ. First thing we need to know that these false teachers were not men who would have said they were Muslim or Buddhist or some other religion that they followed. They probably consider themselves Christians. This is a reminder for us as we live in a time where we have many different churches at our fingertips. And so many people sharing quotes, and messages that are preach in churches, that these same people may be considered false teachers. You see, we're thankful this morning that, you know, we live in an age where you don't have to come to church this morning, the building, but we can still join together online. And we're thankful for that. But there's also something that we need to be looking at because there is that for every church, everything that we can go online and look. I can almost Google anything I want to find an answer for to agree with me. So how do we detect false teachers? The first thing is a false teacher will cause confusion or trouble. You see, these new teachers came and they preached a different message than the one that Paul had taught them. So it caused a lot of confusion among them. We see this type of confusion, we think of Acts 15, as Paul and Barnabas went back to preach. There were some that were saying that in order for the Gentiles to be saved, they would have to be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas wanted to make it clear that it is only because of the grace of God. Acts 15.24 says this, Since we have heard that some person have gone out of, from us and troubled you with words unsettling our minds, although we have given them no instructions. You see, we have to be careful of the message that brings trouble in the church. Something that's going to cause disunity. Something that's going to cause people to dissent. And we think of a book, Exalting Jesus in Galatians, it says this. To distort the gospel is to destroy the church. Because the church is created and lives by the gospel. The greatest troublemakers in the church are those who wish to distort the gospel message. And I believe Satan operates more effectively through false gospels than through any avenue. He twists, confuses, and changes the gospel, using philosophy and rule-keeping to put people in mental manacles that blind their eyes to the truth. You see, it would be easy to spot a false teacher if they came and told you, hey, I'm a false teacher. I'm coming to preach something that's contrary to God's word. But they don't do that. They will even come and open God's word and speak from God's word. So we need to always line it back to what God's Word says. The second way to detect a false teacher is that they will change or distort the gospel. The distorting of the gospel will be better translated in reversing the gospel. And what does it mean to reverse the gospel? Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, this is something that we, as Terrence even alluded to, saying that we've learned this verse for some of us in Awana. And we've learned what grace is. We've learned what is a free gift that I don't deserve. But there are many people that will teach you that you need to do this in order to earn God's grace. But we see it very clearly here. But you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And I can tell you this one that I'm thankful for that because guess what? I would mess it up every single time. Every single day, every single minute, I would mess that up. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we have fallen into the trap of believing that we can sometimes earn God's favor in our lives. I love how David Platt puts it. He says this, I'm convinced that that every single one of us, every single Christ follower, In this room, in some sense, is a recovering legalist. Because all of us, whether or not we'd like to admit it or not, secretly think that there is something we can do in order to please God and be approved by God or be accepted by God. He goes on and says, that that base, this is performance-based kind of faith that is really legalism. And I want us to make sure we know that what legalism is, so we can call it when we see it. But also, I want to be careful that we don't call something legalism that actually is not legalism. You see, we need to understand that we can never earn salvation. We can do nothing. But some of us have these rules that we think we must follow and we become legalists. We become those people who put on these religious things that we put on top of the gospel. Well, you must dress a certain way. You can't do this or that. You know, we must make sure that we follow these rules. You see, we become those people. And I think if we are all honest with ourselves, we all have done that at times. Because we think that every person should be the same. This is what a good Christian person looks like. They should have the big study Bible in their hand. They should be wearing this. They should probably be this tall or look this way. People will probably send a picture of you and say, this is what it looks like. We see it by other religions, where they come into your neighborhood and they'll dress like this, or, or you know they are this because they all dress alike and they do the same thing. we got to make sure that us as the church, us as believers, don't fall into the same trap, that we don't listen to that same type of people coming into the church and preaching these things. Because we cannot earn it. There is nothing that we can do. You see, we need to make sure that we don't come together and think of this moralistic theory. That we think that, oh, once we're moral, we are right. You know, you're a good person. You know, give more to the church. You know, sow a seed. Do all these things. And you are good with the Lord. No matter what you've done on Saturday night or done during the week, once you give to the church, you're great. You're paying the debt that you owe because you're helping others. You see, there are many people who say they believe in God. Even other religions. The Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder. So we got to be careful that when that is preached, that we need to understand that believing in God doesn't just mean that we do these things, but believing in God means that it's a life change in our lives. And that we have the gospel that lives in us, and we need to understand that, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to take a stand for the gospel. Whatever it is. And recognize that I could never be good enough. Because let me tell you something. Only one person, Jesus Christ, was perfect who walked the earth. And he died. And paid the price for our sins. And he rose again. You see, as we turn on our TVs and we turn on YouTube and we can go on and we can find all these different clips and There are many clips that come up if you just put in false teachers. There are many people that will come up and say this thing or that thing. But when we consider YouTube and we consider these huge churches, and I'm not saying that every mega church, you know, they are false teachers, but we need to listen to what they're saying because there have been many people who have had the opportunity to take a stand for Christ on CNN and all sorts of different places and tell you that, you know what, There's not one way to heaven. There's not one way to Christ. There are many different ways. And we know that that is false. As we know, John 14, 6 says there is only one way, one truth, and one life, and that is in Jesus Christ. You see, we need to recognize that any work-based Christianity will always come short because we will always wonder if we have done enough to earn salvation. We never want to fall in the trap of man-centered theology or religion, but we want everything to be God-centered. You see, it's so easy to fall into the trap of wondering if I've done enough or thinking to myself, well, you know what? I spent time in God's word this morning. I've done my devotions. I prayed, and now God is happy with me. Or on the flip side, I haven't spent the time in God's word that I should have. Or I haven't prayed, so now God is upset with me. Thank God, thank goodness that God doesn't think of us that way. Because we would all fall short of that standard. We would all fall short of wondering if we've done enough because we can't do enough. Which brings us to the third point warning for false teachers. Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, to you let him be a curse. I'd be said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. This is a warning to all of us who preach the word of God, that we would never fall in the trap of preaching a different gospel. Paul starts off by himself and says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach, we need to be careful that we, as believers, again go back to God's word. We, as those who bring God's word, we need to make sure that we are right before God. And we are doing all that we can because we can fall into the same trap as anybody. John Piper says this Paul does not have a cotton candy concern for the gospel. He does not offer sugary smiles and controversy and say to each his own. For Paul, the gospel of Christ, is the point at which the awesome life of God touches the life of this foul world of sin. And when that offer of eternal grace to utterly unworthy creatures like us is rejected or perverted to satisfy our pride, somewhere someone must rage in the heinousness of the crime. Oh, how we need to meditate on the horror of rejecting the gospel, end quote. You see, the gospel is not a sugar message. It's not something that we come up in and we preach lightly. The gospel is truth. The gospel has power. The gospel says to me as a person who's bringing God's word that, you know what, I really have nothing to say. God has all the power and all the authority. Because when I ever get to a point where I think I have something to say, then I must check myself and say, you know what? I'm doing just like any false teacher because I should never have nothing to say, but God should have everything to say because it is his word that changes lives. And so when us as false teachers, those who are false teachers, when they get to a point when Paul is saying that they get puffed up and they think they've done something, you got to be careful because you will be cursed. You've got to be careful, as anyone who brings God word, that you are studying God's word and you are bringing it accurately and you are really doing all that you can and recognizing that it has nothing to do with you. It's only because of Christ. Let's to the last point. Seek God's approval and not man. Verse 10 says, For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, there's no in between here. We are either seeking God's approval or we're seeking man's approval. And so many times hard decisions are made and we wonder what are people gonna say? What are people gonna do? This verse clearly tells us that we are either serving God or we're serving man. I like how one preacher put he said it like this if your goal in life is to be liked, then you will not be faithful and fruitful Christian. Let me read that again. If your goal in life is to be liked, then you will not be a faithful and fruitful Christian. Does this mean that I should just be a jerk when I go around? No. Should I not want to be liked by people? No, that's not what it's saying. But I have to understand that people should respect. The stand I take for Christ. And that goes for every single one of us as we go throughout life. We need not to just seek man's approval. We need not to just shudder and think that, you know, we're not going to take a stand here because we don't want to cause problems. No. But we need to understand that we need to seek God's approval. We need to recognize that it is Him who we need to please, not man. Because the reality is that when we try to continue to please man, man is going to let us down every single time. They're going to get upset at something. I could start to do something, you may like it, and then I do something else, and so and so is not going to like it. And then where am I going to go? But if I'm doing all I can for God's approval, then guess what? I have nothing to worry about. Because at the end of the day, I have to stand before God and I have to say, did I do everything that I could for you? I can't tell him, oh, God, I was trying to please Jane over here, or I was trying to please Bob over here. No. I was trying to please you, God. And when we put ourselves in that situation, and that when we think that, hey, you know what? I've done all in my life to, prove, to, to get God's approval, then I can stand firm on his word. That he's never going to leave me or forsake me. He's going to be there with me. You see, we have to be careful. We have to be careful more than ever in our world that we are not allowing false teachers to minister to us, that we aren't allowing the TV that we turn on for those ministers to, to be the ministers that we listen to or, you know, those are the ones that we follow everything that they say because we respect who they are. We got to always come back to God's word because that's what we got to line it up with. And that's what every person, every born again believer should be doing lining it up with God's word. So I ask you this morning are you seeking after the true gospel? Have you followed the true gospel? Or have you fallen into the trap of one of those same things that we talked about earlier where you think that you can earn this free gift by coming to church, by giving tithes, by being even baptized? The reality is that you can't earn this. And if you've been trying to earn this, you're going to fall short every single time, and you're believing a false gospel. I think of the old hymn, and it says this, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Let's pray. Our Father, you are great. You are awesome. Father, there is none like you. And, and Father, as we look into your word, Father, we know that there is just one gospel, one message One salvation. But Father, we know many people have fallen in the trap of believing other Gospels, so-called Gospels. Father, I pray that those people who may have thought that they can earn this salvation, that they would repent. And that they would truly turn their life over to you. Father, I also pray for us as believers, those who generally know Christ. That we would be people that would come alongside. That we would help and mentor, disciple these people, Father, because they need people who they can trust. They need people who can come alongside and talk truth to them. Father, I pray for those who bring your word. Father, you would reveal those who are false teachers. That you would help. Those who are fighting for the truth that all of us, as we, as we think of ourselves, believe that we would contend for the truth. That we would really take a stand for you. And Father, we would not seek man's approval, but we would seek your approval. And Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us again, not to be just be hearers, but be doers. And help us to just allow your word to work in and through us. Not just on a Sunday but that we meditate on your word at all times. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <music>